ridiculous. You guys done had your Wheaties this morning. <laughs> it was great. And you had your electric razor on your guitar? That was cool, whatever that was. I like that too. We're, 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 oh, we're, we're about to have a sermon. That's what we're prepared for. Excellent. I'm ready. I hope you are. Um, it's been a good morning already. You don't even know it. You don't even know how good it's been. Uh, Phil and Jane Whitney joined uh, church this morning during uh, first service. Yeah, you be happy about that? You know, it's that this this series is committed families. We're going to be calling people to commitment to your families and and to God. And so, I mean, it shouldn't come as any surprise. I mean, you know, committed family. It's sort of right there in the name and. Maybe some of you are in that same boat. You're thinking, you know, I need to make that kind of commitment to the church. And if so, you know, today would be a great day for you to make that commitment as well. Um, Why don't we have a word of prayer? And then we're going to start this series, which is really going to be a great series, looking through the book of Proverbs uh, and what it has to say about families and relationships. So let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you and we are full of praise and excitement about uh, all that you're doing in and among us and through us. And Lord, uh, we would desperately want for you to be present in our homes and in our relationships and our friendships and our marriages, uh, in the relationships that we have with our children and our parents. And so, Lord, as we come to this word right now, we just pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds, uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, would be acceptable to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now... I don't mind working on my car, um, very limited amounts, but I mean, um, some of you are avid, diehard oil changers. I'm, I'm so happy for you. I really am. I mean, I think that's great. I really do. I, I, I change the brakes in my car because I find that to be economically uh, advantageous to me. It's a lot cheaper for me to do that, but changing the oil. You know, I've been to AutoZone, I've priced out the oil filter, I've priced out the oil. And that little coupon I get, you know, from Jiffy Lube or Walmart or wherever, it's $5 more. You know what I mean? $5 more to have somebody get under my own car and do it for me. And for me, at the end of the day, it's not nearly that satisfying to jack the car up figure out where this filter is, pull it off, let it all pour out. Then you put the new oil in and you got to pour all the oil back and you got to schlep it over, you know, to AutoZone and you got to have them recycle it. Really, for five bucks, for me, it's not worth the work. Now, some of you, you're going to take me to task about this later. I get that. I get that. And I'm, I'm great with it. I'm great for you to do it. But for me, it's not worth the work. Now, there's a lot of things that we don't do today that your grandparents probably did fairly regularly, and your great-grandparents probably did real regularly. About 100 years ago, you know, we would have thought nothing of, you know, say, plucking our own chicken. But, But I know very few people that say, you know what, it just doesn't taste right unless I pull the feathers out of the chicken myself. I don't know anybody that, that says that. I don't know anybody that's like, man, I gotta, if I don't pluck my own chicken, it's just, I mean, might as well get KFC at that point in time. I'm not, I don't know anybody that's that way. You know, making your own soap. 
You know, it used to be you'd keep ash and you'd run water through it and you'd make this lye that would kill, you know, everything, like including your skin and, I mean, everything else. And people used to make their own soap. I mean, there, there's, people used to do that. And yet today, we're like, well, you know, that's probably not worth the work to make my own soap. You know, it used to be you'd, you'd have to maybe make your own candles out of animal fat. You know, I don't know anybody going, you know, my house just isn't well lit unless I'm making candles out of animal fat. I don't. I don't know a lot of people that function that way. You know, I, I don't know anybody still that makes their own butter, at least regularly. Most people go and buy that. Why? Because it's not worth the work. You know, people have decided it's not worth the work to make their own butter or pluck their own chicken. A lot of people decided it's not worth the work to paint my house, get up on the ladder, pressure wash, and do all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't want to do it. Most people decided, you know, it's not worth that kind of work. Some people said, you know what, it's not worth the work to cut my own grass. I got somebody that comes and does that sort of thing for me. That's great. But, you know, it's really a shame that a lot of people have decided that it is not worth the work to have committed relationships. They said, you know what, it's not worth the work for me to make my marriage work. It's not worth that kind of work. It's not worth the work that I would really have to put in to, to sort of help my kids sort of get some of this stuff straightened out. It's not worth the work that, that, I, that I would have to put into it to reconcile this friendship that I've got. And so what happens all the time is husbands walk out and wives give up and, and everybody gets hurt. And we discard friends as though they were some sort of disposable commodity. But I'll tell you, people and relationships are not disposable commodities. And as we get into the series on committed families, we're going to be looking at relationships in every way, shape, and form. Friendships and marriage and, and parenting and all those kinds of things. We're going to talk about all that stuff. And, and today, I... The point I really want you to get is this one sentence. is that committed families are worth the work. Committed families are worth the work. And it is work, okay? It is work, but they're worth it. And so this morning, we're going to look at scriptures in the book of Proverbs particularly that talk about the value of relationships. And if you leave here and all you've got is said, you know what, it's worth it for me to work at this a little bit harder than mission accomplished, we're going to go through what each of these is and how we might do that in the coming weeks. But today, I just really want us to come to this grip, you know, grip on this idea that a, a good, committed family is worth the work. And, and this is true about relationships and, and friendships as well. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10 tells us that a good friend is worth the work. Uh, the, the text reads this way, Don't forsake your friend or the friend of your parent. In other words, your family friends, friends that you have history with. Do not go to the house of your kindred in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is nearby than kindred who are far away. As we live in an increasingly sort of scattered society where parents live maybe one state away or two states away, we have, I think, discovered the value of friendship. When it comes into a pinch, who are we going to call the people that are close to us, both in proximity and in terms of relationships? Scripture reminds us that a friend that is close is indispensable. A friend like Ross McGinnis. Ross McGinnis was, uh, was a fighter in the United States Army. He was uh, with his team in Iraq. They were in a Humvee going through one of those streets in some village that probably none of us will ever visit. And as they were going through this street, Ross McGinnis was at his position, which was the top gunner. You know, you've seen those Humvees with the hole in the top, and they've got that, that uh, giant machine gun there mounted, and it was his job sort of to man that uh, weapon. As he is up there... 
exposed to everybody, an insurgent takes her grenade and throws it just perfectly into the Humvee, and it bounces down, and it goes under the floor of the vehicle. Ross McGinnis uh, yells at his team. He says, there's a grenade. And then in the Medal of Honor citation that President Bush uh, read and awarded him posthumously, uh, he decided that it would, while it would be a lot easier to jump out the top where he could have gone and saved his life, he decided that it would be something he had to do. He, he chooses in a split second to fall backwards on top of this grenade and absorbs the blast and saves the life of every man in that Humvee. What is it that takes a man to, to do that? We could talk about training and all sorts of things, but really at the end of the day, it, it's, it's love and friendship for those men that you're there with. Friends, that's what a good friend is worth. Proverbs 18.24 talks about this when it says, Some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. And that's the kind of friendships and relationships that we really want to build, is those that are so close, that hold us very close. And it's not just good friends. I would argue that the deeper our relationships become, the more rewarding they are. And no relationship is as deep or should be as deep as the marriage relationship. Proverbs reminds us that a good wife is an incredible blessing. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 says this, A good wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. If you've got a good marriage, a good relationship, a good spouse, you know the truth of this passage. A crown is pretty self-explanatory. It talks about you know, royalty. You know, a good wife is the crown of her husband. In other words, she makes him feel like a king. She makes him feel valued and valuable. And, and a crown was also something else. A crown, if, if you were going to engage in some sort of military conquest, if you won, you would take the crown as your prize. It was sort of your trophy that you got. And so long before we invented the term trophy wife, Scripture came up with it, friends. And so, man, if you're married to a godly woman, you can look at her and say, Honey, you are my trophy wife. Just don't tell the others. Um, but having that is really a prize straight from heaven. Now, I know Proverbs talks a lot about you know, wives being the crown of their husbands. And that's because it was written primarily to men. Men were the ones reading Scripture, and men were the ones who were there in the synagogue having this kind of study. We go to the New Testament, however, and we start to see similar kinds of descriptions for husbands. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle, anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. Scripture here uh, is, is encouraging men to treat their wives the way that Christ is treating his bride, the church. And how is it that the king of kings treats his bride like the queen of queens? And we are to be that to each other, to, to be each other's crowns inside of marriage, bringing glory and joy and, and a sense of value to each other. In ancient times, when a man and woman got married, they would have this week-long uh, wedding feast. And often through that feast, they would describe, they would be addressed as king and queen. And the reason they did that is because they, they were trying to capture that sense of joy that comes. Few things in life can bring us greater joy. Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. 
Uh, a good marriage is worth the work. Scripture tells us that. Uh, studies tell us that too. Studies in United States universities and, and across uh, in England, they have done studies and they have found that across the board, generally speaking, married people are happier than unmarried people. They, they are. They're, just, they're happier than unmarried people. It, it is a value. Uh, it is something that, that makes people feel valued and, and gives people a little bit of a sense of purpose. But when a marriage goes bad, I don't have to tell those of you that have been through a divorce that nothing hurts worse. Nothing hurts worse. One more verse here on marriage. Proverbs 19.14 tells us this. House and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Marriage is God's idea. Just letting everybody know in case this spoiler alert. Marriage is God's idea. Okay? God came up with it in the garden, and he gave it as a gift to humanity. And so it is a gift from God. It's what we might term, in, you know, sort of theologically speaking, as a common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to experience it. And you don't even have to be a Christian to experience the joy of marriage. But we would be remiss in saying that marriage is something that you can experience in its fullness apart from God. Uh, as I thought about this series and I thought about how we could go through the entire book of Proverbs and we could pick out all these sort of like little tidbits on how you can improve your marriage and how you can help your kids be better and how you can improve your friendships, sort of like household tips from Heloise kind of thing. You know, just you know, here's five easy, easy steps to having a better marriage. It dawned on me that that would seem very hollow and very shallow if we didn't address this one thing. It's that God invented relationships. God invented marriage. God is the one who came up with the idea of kids. God is the one who, who invented relationship and friendship. And without God, we won't experience the fullness of it. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what I'd really like is five easy tips to helping my kids, here's tip one, is you've got to get right with Christ before that can happen. Those of you that want three easy steps to a better marriage, step one is to bring yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because without that, you won't experience the fullness of it. Nothing can take the place of Christ in a person's life and relationship. Think about this. Christ is the author. He is the perfect example. And he is the constant supply of love for us today. And so when you hit that rough patch and you say, man, I've run out of love that's when you will really find that you need Christ. That's when you'll need Him. And so this morning, I, I don't want to get past this idea that unless we have God in our relationships, we will not have the fullness of them. Jesus Christ is the best blessing for our friendships, our marriages, and our children. Let's talk about kids a little bit here. Children are also, committed children are also worth the work. Uh, Daniel Gilbert is a psychologist who's pretty much studied happiness his entire career. He's a psychologist at uh, one of these obscure schools, Harvard, I think is the name of it, out, out east. And as this psychologist, he's just spent a lot of time asking people, are you happy? And he's developed scales, and he's incorporated all sorts of technology, like people that participate in this study get texts at weird times and be like, answer these five questions. I feel satisfied in what I'm doing right now. I feel happy. I, I generally feel happy, true or false, you know, that kind of thing. And so he's studied when people are happy, when people are not happy. He's found that after people get married, they have this spike in happiness. You know, they get married and they have this spike in happiness. And then after they have kids, they have a spike in unhappiness. <laughs> People that have had kids, especially their first one, they're incredibly less happy than they were right before. Now, now I know what you're thinking. Well, my kids are a great blessing. Yes, that's true. But, you know, you have crying, you have sleeplessness, you have diapers. 
You know, you have to discipline your kids, which is another sacrifice. You know, you're, you're sacrificing for your kids. You're unappreciated by your kids. And then your kids leave if it all goes according to plan. That's how it all goes. Okay? It, it is kind of a depressing, you know, idea. But there is something, as a, as a father, I will tell you, and if you have kids, you know, there is something incredibly joyful about it. Uh, you know, I've talked to many parents who when the conversation wasn't remotely close, they will say, hey, let me tell you about my son. Or let me tell you about my daughter. I'm really proud of them. This is what they did. And, and their smile tells everything. That that, just, that has made their day. That has added to their joy immensely. But I've also talked to a lot of parents who will start to talk about their kids. And you know they're holding it back because they've done something that's hurt them. And it's caused them a lot of pain. And nothing has hurt them more. This is why Scripture has long taught this, Proverbs 29, verse 17. Discipline your children, and they will give you rest. They will give delight to your heart. Discipline is hard work. If you're parents, you know it is true. It hurts, it hurts you more than it hurts them. But why do you discipline your kids? It's because you know that this is true. And you want your kids to, to, to come out to this place where they are committed to Christ and to the principles of godliness in their life. Now, when all these things come together, as far as relationships go, when friendships work and marriages work and kids and all this kind of stuff starts to work, we start to have this, this harmony that comes. Proverbs 17, 6 says this, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Why is that? It's because the parents parented their children and their children parented their children and they see this legacy of godliness that, that goes on through the generations and they go, man, this is so incredibly rewarding. And it is a crown that's traced back to them. The opposite is true as well. Disharmonious families are a curse. Proverbs 19.13 says this, A stupid child is ruined to a father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Whew. Some of you are laughing a little uncomfortably. <laughs> I'm not going to point anybody out, but it's true. It is so true. You know, scripture like nails it, right? That's why it's so valuable. If we want to avoid this, then we're going to have to work at it. Our theme verse for this whole series is this Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous walk in integrity. Happy are the children who follow them. I think we should try to memorize this together as a church. I decided that this morning here. Let's try it. Here we go. The righteous walk in integrity. Happy are the children who follow them. Let's do one more. The righteous walk in integrity. Happy are the children who follow them. All right, we're going to work on that and see if we can get that down before uh, these six weeks are out. All right, listen, good relationships take time. And that's what this is about, 1168. I, I want to just talk a little bit to parents because we're, we're starting a few new initiatives downstairs as well. Uh, one real big one. And that is, uh, we are really wanting to equip you as parents to, to have faith conversations at home. And so one of the things we're going to do just long term is we're going to send the take-home sheet that you normally lose in your car, um, you know, the week of. We're going to send it home the week before. Because we want to start switching the question a little bit. We want your kids to not get in the car and you go, what did you learn today? We want your kids to come in the classroom and they'll say, what did you read at home this week? And they're going to start asking your kids, what was the story about this week? And so we're going to give you the take-home sheet for the next week. 
so that way you can start having those conversations with your kids. And maybe, you know, you're going to remember Sunday and you can read it on the way to church, which will be great because it'll be fresh <laughs> in their memory right there. It'll be waiting for them right there uh, when they come in. Now, if you're like me, you lose it in the minivan or somebody eats it, you know, and, and it happens. Meet Zach. Whoa. We're, we're going to meet Zach here in a second. Um, where were we? The take-home sheet. It's going to get emailed to you. Wow. Yes, it's going to get emailed to you. So that way you can get it at home where you're, where you're going to get it. <clears throat> All right. But, on a side note, the point of 1168, there's 168 hours in the week, okay? And a lot of people say, you know, if I give one of that hour, of those hours to church, that's going to be enough. That's going to be enough to set my child for a lifetime of faithfulness and godliness. Or that's going to be enough to sort of orient my marriage to God. Or that's going to be enough to, to make sure I have Christ-filled friendships. One hour of 168th is really appalling, okay? It just is. It's too little. The back of the shirt says it's not enough. And it's not. Let's take a look at this video, and it'll illustrate this with the kids. Meet Zach. If you asked his mom and stepdad, they'd say, yeah, we go to church, usually the 915 service. But two weeks ago, they went out of town. Last week, they slept in and went to the 1130 service. This Sunday, Zach has baseball tryouts. It's been a month since he attended at 915. And not just this month, this is his family's regular attendance pattern. How does that affect Zach? When he walks into children's ministry, the surroundings are familiar, but the faces are not. The environment is exciting, but Zach feels alone. The lessons are engaging, but Zach doesn't connect. The teacher says, remember when we talked about, but Zach doesn't. Zach doesn't know names, doesn't have friends, and isn't learning much. Unfortunately, Zach is a typical kid in children's ministry, and church plays a small part in Zach's life because of his family's attendance pattern. The alarming issue is that Zach's parents are relying on his church attendance for spiritual growth. How effective do you think that will be? As he grows older and friendships become even more important, he'll start begging his parents to let him stay home from church. He'll have no answers when challenged about his faith and will begin to disconnect from the church. At 18 or earlier, he will walk away. We will lose Zach. But it doesn't have to be that way. Get a free ebook with real-world ways that churches are solving this problem at awana.org slash the question. And so that's what it's about. <clears throat> Because that is reality. Now, I know a lot of our parents, I know a lot of you, and I know you're committed, and you hear a lot more than that. But I know a lot of you aren't. And I'll tell you, it's not going to be a... Even if you did every Sunday, 1, 168th isn't quite going to cut it. And so as we think about committed families, what we really need to be thinking about is how can we bring this commitment home uh, to share with each other, uh, to share with our children. You should have gotten an insert in your bulletin that says committed families up top. And we're going to be having one of these every week with a few different ideas. Uh, let's just start here, committed marriage. Uh, I, I'm going to make a confession. I haven't made our final reservations to the marriage retreat. And so if you're saying, you know what, I really wanted to, but I missed it, you could still do it if you told me today. Um, committed children, tweens uh, and teens. Here at this section, uh, I asked Jared and Shayla, I said, what are the things you wish every parent knew and would do to get the most out of what, you know, what's going on downstairs and, and across the way. This comes from them. And so I would encourage you to read that and be familiar with it. And then finally, this week, this week section right here is something we're trying 
out, and we want you to take this home and do this. Uh, it, it is a simple family night activity that I think will be fun for kids of all ages just about. Uh, set one night aside this week to go through old pictures. It might be in a shoebox, or if you're you know, hip and cool like me, it's you know, in a computer. Um, and you guys could sit through and go through those pictures, and you could talk about that. Uh, spend some time, uh, husbands and wives, or if you've got kids, sit down with your kids. Kids love looking at pictures, and share at least one special memory you have of each other. We've got a scripture verse there that we'd love for you to read when you're done, and then when you're finished with that, have somebody in your family close with prayer. Uh, it would also be a lot of fun if you would post some of these old photos using the hashtag there, Committed Families, um, so that way we know who's participating in this um, and that we can all sort of, you know, marvel and laugh at some of your, uh, you know, awkward family photos. So uh, we hope that you'll do that. Uh, and the reason we're doing that is because we do really want you to take your faith home and, and to work that out together as a family. The, I hope you hope as you think about that and as you go through those photos and you think about these texts that you will remember that, yes, a committed family is worth it. And sometimes it's looking back on the good times that remind us, you know what, we need to keep moving forward because there's going to be some more of those later. So that's my prayer for you. Uh, this morning we're going to have our worship team come up and we're going to have our time of decision. We do this every week. And I would say one of the best things you could do as a family is to be committed to a church to say, you know, this is, this is our church. This is the church where we are at home. This is the church where we look to for spiritual leadership and guidance. This is the church where when we need to serve and they put a call out to help, this is the place that we come and serve and help at. And so if that's you and you have that decision to make this morning, we want to invite you to come forward uh, and make that commitment here. It is the start of a new year. What a great way to get, get going uh, than to make that commitment to a church. Others of you perhaps need to receive Christ. And if that's the case, now's a great time to do that too. Uh, if you have a decision to make, why don't you come forward as we sing the song and get ready for communion. Please be standing.